Welcome to Rob's Reliability Project, a podcast for maintenance and reliability people to better themselves both at home and at work. Now let's get rolling. Welcome to Rob's Reliability Project. I'm Rob Kalvaroski. Thank you for listening to the show. And if you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe to Rob's Reliability Project on your favorite podcast platform, as well as share it with your colleagues. If you're looking for more content, check out or follow Rob's Reliability Project on LinkedIn and Facebook for some different types of content and check out robsreliability.com as well. If you're looking for a short daily audio tip, subscribe to Rob's Reliability Tip of the Day on your favorite podcast platform. As well, it's also available on Amazon Alexa as a flash briefing. So check that out. Finally, if there are any topics, guests you'd like to hear from, questions you want answered, or if you'd like to appear on the podcast, just send me an email to robsreliabilityproject at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Now let's get rolling. Hey guys, I'm back here with Lucas Marino. Last time we had an impromptu discussion on leadership, and this time we're actually going to get into the level of repair analysis. First off, Lucas, how are you? I'm doing great, Rob. Thanks for having me back, and uh, I'm excited to you know be able to talk about Laura today. Since, <laughs> like you said last time, you know we were planning on it, but then we both got all wound up and had fun talking about leadership, which is obviously near and dear to both of us. So. Yeah, no, that was a fun discussion. I really enjoyed it. And I really liked seeing your perspective on a lot of these things. Like, you know, you've spent a lot of time as a leader and, you know, it's it's really interesting for me to have a look at your perspective. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. And it was, it, you know, that, that, that feeling's mutual. I'm learning what leadership means to other industries the more I work with industries external to the service. So, you know, that, that whole conversation was extremely enlightening to me as well because some of the assumptions that I walk out of the service with about what's happening with leadership out in industry, I thought it would be drastically different when really it's not, you know, it, you know, we talk about the universal approach or experiences that people have with leadership. That whole conversation just, just drove that home for me. You know, it's no, it's no different uh, on the inside or the outside of the service. So yeah, I mean, we, we look at it differently. We talk about it a little differently. We may approach it differently, but in the end it's human interaction and, and that's constant. So. Yeah. I mean, I think at the end of the day, people are people. And so like, regardless of if you're in the service or not, it's just, we, we all kind of are driven by the same thing. So we just, it's just a different way of seeing the world. Absolutely. Awesome. So let's, let's, let's dive into it. I mean, like, so when you started looking at a level of repair analysis, like how did you start doing that? Um, so I was, getting uh, through my first year of, of coursework on my, um, my doctoral studies at George Washington. And I had, you know, at that point I had almost 20 years of experience in managing and uh, coordinating and executing maintenance in the Coast Guard on ships. And I, I was experiencing all of these issues from a strategic level at headquarters for the first time. You know, I was, I was sitting in headquarters at the, at the top of the chain uh, not necessarily me being the top of the chain, but working with the top of the chain as an advisor to the leadership, and uh, and you know, they're looking at they're looking at the people with recent uh, operational engineering experience for answers. And so the people my rank, you know, the the commanders, the lieutenant commanders, 
that are sitting at the table are the ones that bring that experience into the room so they can make strategic decisions. And we, we kept experiencing issues with um, supportability and maintenance and logistics plans for some of our more expensive assets. And as I was wrapping up my coursework uh, at George Washington and getting ready to go into my research, I had the problem identified. I knew that we were having a problem identifying um, the, the right level of resources to execute a, a sound maintenance philosophy for this extremely valuable class of ships that we had procured um, over the last decade. And it was baffling to me that we were having this, this problem where we were so dependent on contracted support to, to maintain this national asset, you know, this critical military asset, and it was costing us a lot of money. And so, you know, I knew I wanted to try and figure out how to better predict those costs or better analyze those costs or, or better plan for those resources. Uh, and so I started looking for ways to do that, knowing that in my heart that either A, the Coast Guard had, you know, just chosen not to do something, B, we had done something and, and missed the mark, or C, uh, had unintentionally not done something, right? Like we just didn't know or didn't plan on, on doing a certain type of analysis when we were acquiring or planning for this class of ships. And now we're, you know, suffering because of it. So I started to dig into that a little bit. And of course, when you start looking at the world of integrated logistics support, it's massive, you know, I mean, it's huge. Uh, you've got everything from procurement to, to maintenance, to training, to staffing, to, you know, every aspect of, of supporting an asset, you know, in asset management is, is wrapped into, uh, or interacting with aspects of integrated logistics support or ILS. So, you know, in the military, we're big on ILS. And so I was driving through the ILS forest, you know, of different types of analyses and, and, and perspectives. And I stumbled upon this level of repair analysis. And it was something that has, has been around for a hot minute with the military. You know, the, the, it's not new. Uh, DOD has been doing this for, for decades. Um, but it wasn't something I had ever heard of before. And that, that kind of sent a flare up, uh, you know, kind of set off a little bit of a, of a warning in my head because after all those years of dealing with ships and, and maintenance, how come I never heard of this analysis? And so I started looking into it a little bit and I realized that if we had done uh, or taken the level of, of repair analysis approach and applied it to the maintenance activities for this asset, we would look at resourcing in a completely different way. So honestly, I had a problem that I didn't know how to solve. I started looking for ways to solve it. I found an analysis that seemed to fit and I started digging into the level of repair analysis and eventually ended up creating a new uh, way of looking at LoRa and, and a new way to apply it to maintenance activities. So that's kind of how it all started for me. Yeah, no, that sounds great. I mean, like I've never you know, before we started talking about it, I've never heard of level of repair analysis either. So do you want to kind of give us a breakdown of what it is and kind of what the output is? Sure, sure. So, you know, traditionally, uh, LoRa has been used to determine what level of the uh, maintenance organization will address a, pro a, a part or component of a, of a piece of equipment when it needs to uh, either be repaired or discarded um, based on support factors. So you've got uh, like, I'll, I'll use an example throughout our conversation of like a diesel engine, right? You know, 
if, if I have to pull a cylinder head off of a diesel engine, a cylinder head has a lot of components in it. So there's levels of, of, um, of dependency there, right? You know, I, I might not throw a cylinder head away, but I might throw away a bad valve, right? So, you know, as you drill down in a component from engine to valve train, you know, cylinder head down to the, the, the main component, each of those components can be analyzed to determine what's the appropriate response should it need to be repaired. Should we repair it or should we discard it? And there's a few other options as well, but those are the big ones. And if we decide to repair it, at what level of the organization should it be repaired? Should we use our uh, organizational staff, our own technicians, or are we going to require advanced depot maintenance type expertise to do this? And, and that's why the diesel engine example fits well, because you know, for, for example, we may have technicians on site at our organization that are maintaining that asset and trained to do a certain amount of, um, you know, of work on that asset, whether it be, you know, uh, predictive, uh, planned or corrective maintenance. And, and so they've got a certain level of expertise with that piece of equipment, a certain level of training as a technician in that field, and they can do certain types of work. So, you know, that component may be a, a a prime candidate for organizational resources to to address, whereas other components uh, may more advanced components like maybe the internal components of a governor, um, maybe those need to be sent off to a OEM or advanced depot maintenance source. And uh, so yeah, so Laura kind of gives us the ability to look at a part and and its interaction with the logistics elements. Um, and support elements for that overarching piece of equipment and say, all right, what are all the costs associated with supporting this component? Uh, you know, what, what does it take to, to get a technician trained to work on it? What, how much does that technician cost us annually? Where can I get those technicians? Are they in, internal to our organizational or external with, a, with an OEM support or a depot main support? Um, you know, what are the procurement costs for the part? What about storage, transportation, handling? So it takes all the elements of integrated logistics, wraps them around the part or component, and then determines what the overall impact, financial impact and logistic impact of that component on the organization is. That, that's a traditional level of repair analysis kind of view of, of, a, of an item, whereas the, the model I developed looks more at the activity itself versus the component. And we, we could talk about that a little bit more in, in a few minutes, but, you know, I, I viewed as a maintainer, as a, as a person who did maintenance, managed maintenance, then was strategically planning maintenance and the resources that go around it. I viewed activities as a driver more so than parts. I mean, I, that seems to make sense for me. Like when I look at like, like it sounds like Laura, it, it looks a little bit like kind of like a life cycle cost model. Well, Laura could be a contributor to a life cycle cost analysis. You know, it could be one of the uh, analyses that feed into it. And of course, like any other analysis, when you start tailoring it for your need and your organization, you may find that your Laura is enough to get you started and that you have to do other forms of analysis later. Um, or you might find that Laura is not enough and that you do need to do uh, far more analysis. You know, just because Laura says you need to have an O-level or an organizational uh, level maintainer do the work doesn't necessarily mean Laura might be the right way to determine all the costs associated with that technician, right? So, you know, and then once you identify the requirements for those components uh, through Laura, you may, 
you may have inputs to other analyses to say, all right, you know, it said we were going to need to do training. Well, let's go find out how much training costs. And then we can feed that back into the LoRa and update the LoRa. And so level of repair analysis can be a, an iterative component to a lifecycle cost analysis. So, so I guess, Lucas, what's the output for a LoRa? So the uh, level of repair analysis, if it's, you know, done in a traditional sense, uh, you know, as the, as the Department of Defense or, um, or Department of Homeland Security for the, you know, for the United States, they, they're the ones who have kind of traditionally employed a LoRa. Um, for those that have done a LoRa, a lot of the outputs are related to supply chain and procurement related to maintenance. So, you know, you would have a, a piece of equipment that's broken down into multiple levels of indenture. And all that really means is you've decomposed uh, the systems on a piece of equipment down to certain levels. You know, you might have like an overarching system then you could break it down to like an assembly. Then you could break it down to a component or item. <clears throat> and once you go through those levels of indenture, you're capturing data about each of those levels as you move through the analysis. So, you know, you can do a bottom up or you can do a top down um, estimate doing, you know, once you decompose. Um, I, I tend to do a bottom up. I like to decompose all the systems down to the level and then start building the data around each of those individual components. And what you would do is you would gather all the relevant um, data that you have about that asset when you're acquiring it, if you're doing this uh, during the acquisitions phase. And you would, in the end, you would have aggregated all of this, uh, this data that talks about the maintenance requirement, the supply requirement, the, um, the, the training requirement to execute the maintenance, um, all of these different things that you need to support that component. Um, throughout its uh, its life cycle, as a as you perceive them at that point, right in time. And so, if this is during acquisitions, you then have this aggregated list of things that can help build out requirements and also have costs associated with them. So, ultimately, what you're looking at is, you know, hey, this this component will need a, a basic or advanced technician. Um, this component will need to be stored in this quantity. This component will cost us this much per procurement cycle, this component, you know, and, and so on and so forth. So you end up with this large trove of logistics support data related to that component. Now that's a traditional LoRa, right? The, the LoRa model that um, I propose in my research and that I'm now building into, um, into the book I'm writing is an enhanced level of repair analysis that focuses on maintenance tasks. Because to me as a maintenance guy, that was more logical. I, I really wasn't like, from an organizational perspective, I didn't say, okay, I'm an asset manager at a strategic level and I want a list of all the logistics requirements data for a component. Now, that's not the conversation we were having. The conversation we were having was, what are the maintenance needs for the asset and what do I need to execute the maintenance? So I wanted my lawyer to be able to say as an output, you have these tasks that must be done, right? These maintenance tasks, these activities. These activities are going to require these resources. These resources will, will be found in location A or location B. Location A may be within your organization. Location B may be external to your organization, you know, depending on what type of resources you have available to you for that asset, right? Um, so you would have an output that is basically an assembled report that says, this equipment is telling you it has these requirements if you look at the activities that it's going to take to support it. So your maintenance organization, if you use it the way it's currently constructed, 
can execute these maintenance items at this cost with your resources. Or you can use external resources like OEM provided contractors or industry uh, provided um, technicians at those costs. And you can do the same maintenance activity at that cost. So it gives you the ability to compare the cost of resources when you look at it that way and, and make a, 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 you know, an educated decision about which resource is better for your organization. And that drives your maintenance philosophy, right? So the output of the enhanced level of repair analysis is uh, an outline of training requirements um, and uh, cost estimates for how much it costs the organization to complete a maintenance task, depending on which resource you choose. It can go into um, the availability of those resources. It can go into the availability of those parts and components. It can go into um, telling you what it's going to take to stand up a training program for your organization to develop its own talent to execute that maintenance. It, it can be very informative depending on how far you want to take it. No, it sounds pretty informative. And it definitely like, you know, like in the military, are they doing this before they're acquiring an asset? Like, it sounds like obviously that's probably the best way to do it or are they doing it kind of in a reactive way where we've bought this thing and we don't know what to do with it now yeah so it you know obviously like almost any other uh you know very complex analysis it depends right so the the level of acquisition definitely drives whether Alora becomes an immediate uh acquisition need or not okay so if you're building something very large and complex and costly like a ship you're you know, and you're in the U.S. military, you are going to have level of repair analysis as a requirement. Now, that in no way, shape, or form dictates how well that LoRa occurs, right? <laughs> Just like how, you know, and to give you an example about that, um, you know, when I was doing my research, I looked at multiple acquisitions. Like, I looked at multiple classes of ships that we had purchased and the performance of LoRa during each of those projects. And what I noted was each of them was a little different. When we did uh, one major class of ship procurement or acquisition, sorry, we hired a contractor to perform the level of repair analysis that was also providing us the ship. And they kept it as proprietary information. So I couldn't even see it as a member of the service and really couldn't reference it, which was frustrating because I'm now retroactively trying to um, perform integrated logistics support for that asset while it's in sustainment. And because we're building 10 of those ships and it takes years to build each one, we have some ships that are in sustainment and some that are in acquisition. So, you know, if I'm on the sustainment side, that acquisition level of repair analysis would have been really informative to me, but I couldn't access it, right? So, yeah, yes, we performed Allura, but it might as well have not have been performed as far as I was concerned because I couldn't access it or use it. So it's, you know, useless to me. Whereas with another class of ships we bought, <clears throat> um, you know, we had them built for us, the same situation over multiple years, same situation, except this vendor um, and this acquisition was structured so that the level of repair analysis was available to the acquisition and engineering community. I could reference it, and this is even more important, we could take the lessons that we were taught from the performance of that level of repair analysis, the information that we derived during that LoRa, and we could roll it into the LoRas that we were iteratively going to conduct during the sustainment phase of that life cycle management, right? So now we've got a ship out in the fleet 
and it's a large complex asset with large expensive equipment and we can perform level of repair analysis on specific equipment items and we can do it in an iterative fashion so we're not reinventing the wheel or starting from scratch every time and we can build a better LoRa at every iteration and then use that level of repair analysis to inform the adopt you know the changes to the maintenance philosophy and resourcing over the cost of the life cycle. So you would start this ideally in an ideal world, you would start this at acquisition and you would carry it through through sustainment to disposal. And you would just update it as you went along. You know, there's going to be decision events or milestones. In our case, we have something called an integrated life cycle um, or sorry, integrated logistics support team. Right. And there's a, a, um, there's a, a team of people that would be reviewing this uh, LoRa iteratively. And those people would be making updates to something called the integrated life, jo- uh, life cycle support or uh, logistics support plan, sorry, the ILSP, integrated logistics support plan. And they would make changes to that plan based on inputs or outputs, sorry, of the LoRa. Okay. So I guess my next question is, you know, like in order to do a level of repair analysis, you have to understand all the maintenance that's being, or that will be done on, on your asset. Do you do an RCM before or after? Is it in conjunction with, how does that work? So if you're doing this for a a major asset in acquisition, your team needs to be very aware of what information is needed to do the type of Laura you're trying to execute. Right? So the first step I would, I would, uh, engage in with my team would be where are we at right now? What information do we have at our disposal on the on the equipment? What can we find out about that equipment by performing a LoRa right now? And some of the things that would in, inform that would be, hey, are we aware of what the maintenance needs are yet? Now, if we have a piece of equipment that is being delivered to us with very little or no prescribed maintenance, then it's probably not very wise of us to try and jump into a final revision of LoRa for the acquisition purpose at that point. We would want more information. Um, we, want, we want that RCM to, to kick off, right? And we want, we want our maintenance requirements better defined before we really dive into the LoRa. Now, we may start doing the LoRa concurrently and working together so that our analysts are talking to those analysts and we're all on the same page and we're not just doing this in sequence and delaying you know, something that could be happening concurrently. It all depends on the situation, the project, the asset or whatever. But yeah, there are instances where you can buy a piece of equipment um, off the shelf, right? You know, and it could be a very complex piece of equipment like a diesel engine. And the manufacturer may have provided you with enough extent data in the form of a prescribed maintenance, uh, preventive maintenance program for you to get started, right? And then while the Famicas and you know all the RCM work is going on, you could have a framework LoRa done by the time those analysis are wrapping up that you can then retroactively update. So yeah, it all depends on the the complexity of the asset and the availability of extent data. That extent data availability is super important because like any other analysis, you know, it's only going to be as good as the as the quality of the inputs and the people doing the work. So you know you have to kind of step back and say, do we have enough uh, maintenance information to get started on a LoRa without RCM. And I guess on that on that note about people doing the work, like what what department of the organization or what kind of specialty 
information to someone who's like, should it be a reliability person? Should it be a maintenance person? Should it be a logistics person? Like who should be doing Allura? You obviously want to have someone leading the analysis that understands Laura to a, to a, 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 a well enough degree that they understand the interaction of all the components, right? So regardless of whether it's a, a straight, you know, top of the level maintenance um, professional or, or reliability professional or, or an engineer, you know, uh, like a mechanical engineer, you know, as long as they understand and, and fully deal with the integrated support elements of an asset, you've got a good start. Okay. I mean, I'm trying to be realistic here. Not every organization is going to have super engineering logistics brains, you know, just sitting around waiting to do level of repair analysis, you know, that you could hire a contractor, you know, you could hire someone like me or a couple of the, the people I work with to come in there and run a Laura because we're, you know, experienced with Laura. But if I was at a, an organization that didn't have someone specialized in Laura, I would probably go to my maintenance and reliability leadership and say, all right, you need to work on a multifunctional team, right? I want one representative from, from each of the functional areas impacting the logistics support of the asset to be advisors uh, on your team. And I would pick the person that had the, the, the focus of the analysis close to their heart. And in many ways, the conversation you and I are having would lead to either the reliability or, or maintenance experts at the table or subject matter experts at the table, right? Because if I'm doing this on a very complex piece of equipment, that requires a lot of maintenance and, and I'm doing this in an activity based analysis mean, right? Like I'm looking at the activities, then I want someone that understands the activities and understands the cost of those activities to be kind of leading the charge here. So that's why I say that. Now, if I was working in an organization that didn't have a large maintenance capacity or, you, you know, or, or department and I was, and I, but I had a lot of equipment and I did a lot of contracting to execute maintenance and I didn't have a lot of inherent resources to do it, then, you know, it, it may, it may change that decision for me. No, that's really interesting. Like when you said, like, you need the expertise about those activities and, and all the details on cost. To me, the, one of the people that popped up in my head was just like having a planner be as part of that multifunctional team, because like the planners, they really need to understand each job that's done on that specific piece of equipment plus all the parts and all the logistics behind that job itself. Yeah, you're absolutely correct. I mean, that is, that is ideal is if you have a strong, if you have a, if you have a, a very well-rounded and, and, uh, and squared away planner, they could be one of the most, they could be one of the best fits for conducting a, a Laura, uh, on an asset for those very reasons, you know, they don't, they are not the ones executing the maintenance, obviously they're planning it, but they see the big picture, right? You know, remember that level of repair analysis, even though it's dealing with a lot of ground level stuff, like, you know, performing individual maintenance tasks or supporting individual um, equipment components, really it's just strategic analysis. It's a higher level analysis. So someone like a planner has a perfect percent, uh, you know, uh, uh, viewpoint on, on how the costs and support elements wrap into that. I couldn't agree more. Oh yeah, absolutely. No, I, I guess my, my next question, you know, is like, you've done a fair amount of these, like, what do you see that people do incorrectly when they're doing a Laura? Well, I think one thing you have to, you have to be 
very cautious of is you have to have realistic expectations depending on the, the, the phase of the life cycle, right? I mean, I, th- I, I think that some people go into a very big, robust analysis like this, and they, they don't understand that, you know, this is a, something that's going to have to be progressively elaborated. It's not a one-time deal. I mean, it could be. You could do it once and say, hey, look, we did a LoRa, and, and we did it 10 years ago, and this is what it told us. But then you shouldn't be using that LoRa as, as gospel 10 years later when you're, you know, you've got lo- a lot of lessons learned and experience on maintaining that asset. So I think, you know, organizations have to be aware of like how relevant is the information that you're gathering, um, the report you put out, how, how relevant is it to the, the current um, maintenance environment, right? And, and asset management environment for that asset. So that's, that's one big thing is I think people perform a very uh, robust analysis like this, and then they, they kind of hang their hat on it forevermore. And you can't really do that. You have to update it. So that's one thing. The second thing is you don't know what you don't know, right? <laughs> and if you have one person and one person alone involved in the development of the LoRa and the report, and they're briefing out one person on, on that, that's going to have to make all the decisions. And they really haven't gotten around and gotten familiar with all the people that are subject matter experts on that piece of equipment or the people that have actually performed those tasks. Then your lore is only, only has so much integrity. You know, at that point, you have to look at it as, as like a, an acquisition Laura because you don't have – you haven't integrated a lot of experience or a lot of functional managers into the conversation. So, you know, although teamwork can be difficult, it's absolutely necessary for making sure you produce the best LoRa possible for that asset. The third thing is, I think, the most, one of the most critical, okay? People look at something like level of repair analysis. They look at the 12 elements of integrated logistics support. They look at all this data that needs to be analyzed. They look at all this stuff, and they're immediately intimidated by it. They're like, that looks big. That looks like it's going to cost a lot of money and time. It looks like it could tell us a lot, but I'm not sure that the bang, you know, it's, I'm going to get the bang for the buck out of this thing. And even if I do, I'm going to have to allocate assets to it to develop this. We're going to be learning as we go. It's going to tell us a lot. We're going to experience a lot, but you know what? I'm not sure that this is a good idea for us. And what they've done is they've caused themselves to look past the benefit of something, which is obviously tremendous in this, in this case, you know, uh, because they become intimidated by the size of it, the scope of it for a lack of experience. And I think that that's very um, disheartening to someone like me who knows how much of an education they can gain from conducting the LoRa, whether it be with a partner or by themselves. You know, it doesn't have to be perfect. It can tell you a tremendous amount about your asset. And you may not even use the LoRa for what you intended uh, to use it for down the road. You may, you may just find out a lot about that piece of equipment and become familiar with its requirements. So, you know, data in, data out, you know, garbage in, garbage out, you got to have good data. You have to have someone that can tell whether you're getting good data. You have to have someone that's responsible with understanding integrated logistics. And you have to have someone that's willing to eat the elephant one bite at a time and talk the, the organization off the ledge if they think it's too big to handle. I think that's you know kind of the overarching stuff. <laughs> no, I really like that. I, and I think that, you know, like a lot of people get kind of intimidated by this type of stuff, but at the end of the day, you do learn a lot about your asset and it's you know, it's super important to do this kind of work. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's, 
it's crazy because you'll go through all this work and you'll do all this stuff. I mean, it's like any other thing we do with assets, right? I mean, think about how much time we spend looking at maintenance requirements and maintenance execution for assets. And we don't, we don't, we don't think about how much we've looked at and how much we've learned sometimes. And it's a tremendous amount of experiential learning happening when you do that. This is no different. And to me, uh, I just, I get, I get a big smile like on my face when I can walk away from something like this and know that we have managed to organize a lot of what seemed to be unrelated or, you know, kind of hard to capture data and put it in a way that people understand and shows impact. I mean, the whole point behind activity-based costing as its own thing was to show you how much an activity costs an organization. And if you do an activity-based uh, level of repair analysis, the way, the way I'm prescribing, you can literally walk away understanding how much that maintenance costs an organization. And that's a tremendously valuable thing to know about each of the tasks that your maintenance um, program is undertaking, right? And, and so think about the value you're turning your back on if you're intimidated by the work it takes to, to identify it. It's just, it's just wild to me. And when I was doing my work for the uh, level of repair analysis in sustainment versus acquisition, I learned so much about what was encountering our maintenance teams and, and cost, driving their costs and the challenges they were facing um, when we started to dig into the data. Um, because the duration times for, for maintenance completion were all over the road for an asset and sustainment. You know, <laughs> when we had it in acquisitions, we we're looking at what the prescribed maintenance duration was. You know, do this task should take three hours, this many resources, check, right? Easy math. But then when you've got this asset out there for 20 years and you've got a year's worth of performance data on that task, and that data is all over the road for duration, you can start digging into it and saying, well, what is it about that one task that's causing us to have this unstable, very, uh, you know, uh, task duration? And then you start talking to the to the people executing the maintenance, and you're learning that you know, well, every time we pull these off because it's on an exhaust system, we shear these bolts off. It's almost every time, you know, and it could be one bolt or five bolts or twenty bolts. We don't know until we start working. Well, that might change my appetite or my my approach when I start estimating that task in the future. Right. And so, you know, there's just a tremendous amount to learn. There's a tremendous amount to not turn your back on if you really see the value in it. And having done a few of them, I just really appreciate everything that they that they can tell us from a strategic standpoint, because it helps the organization understand what they're really talking about when they stack a resource, because those resources are expensive. Absolutely. I guess my last question before we get you out of here is, you know, you mentioned we have to reevaluate Alora as we learn. Like, how often should that be? Well, uh, it's going to depend on the asset. It's going to depend on what your life cycle um, support planning for that asset is. It's going to depend on your organization's policies and culture. Um, and 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 it's going to kind of you got to kind of put all those pieces together to make that determination. So, if you have a a high value asset that's fairly stable doesn't have a high maintenance demand um, and is you got you have a lot of experience with it the cost isn't as much of a surprise to the organization it's manageable it's realistic and you know even though it's got its issues like every program does this one's not especially concerning 
you may not have to conduct a LoRa as as often as you would for um, a more concerning or more uh, resource intensive asset, right? So the as you increase the complexity of the support for an asset, you should probably increase the frequency of of review for the level of repair analysis, even if it's just to kind of talk it over a little bit. Now, you know, give you an example of that. Um, with with the uh, with the maintenance that we conduct on on large ships, uh, we have these maintenance effectiveness review cycles in the Coast Guard, where we look at the effectiveness and 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 philosophy and and programming for maintenance tasks on, and we we do it around equipment. So we'll say, you know, we're going to look at the propulsion equipment in the first quarter of every year, right? So we'd be annually we'd be reviewing our our outputs of the level of repair analysis for that piece of equipment. I can use that annual requirement to uh, to review the effectiveness of the maintenance for that asset as a good um, deadline for the review and update of the level of repair analysis. And it may not be a huge lift because there may not be a lot of support changes with that asset, right? So on that annual cycle, I know that I don't have a lot of work to do to update the LoRa. I just need the right person to be looking at it. And we need to have the right conversation about whether our maintenance resource requirements are changing, right? Whereas if we have a, a large piece of equipment in the same situation, but the, the maintenance uh, picture isn't very clear yet, we're spending more money than we thought we should, uh, which tells us that our maybe our predictive analysis, our early analysis wasn't as accurate as it should have been, or we just didn't have enough data. I might increase the frequency of the LoRa, and I might increase the frequency of the maintenance effectiveness review for that piece of equipment so that I can better... Uh, uh, control those costs in a shorter period of time. Yeah, that, that's kind of the approach I usually recommend is you got to look at the equipment and see what it's telling you it needs. <laughs> <laughs> it always tells us something. You know, it talks to you. Oh yeah, it's talking to you. And, and you know, when I started my research, uh, I, I was being, if we were being screamed at by a piece of equipment, we had propulsion engines that were costing us a fortune to support. Now that's all relative. If you if we were in the Navy, we wouldn't think it was that expensive. But we're the Coast Guard. We got a small budget, so we were we were reeling from the costs. We were not happy with how much we were spending, and we couldn't really put our finger on why our costs were what they were. And to give you some idea about how this impacted the organization, it was completely changing. It was diverting us from our normal practice with maintenance of trying to drive the organization to take the maintenance on sooner rather than later. But when you talk about propulsion equipment on a national strategic asset, like a large naval ship, your, your risk tolerance is different. And the risk tolerance was so small with this piece of equipment that we were willing to pay uh, more money to make sure that that, that asset was, was more operational than we normally would be. And, but we were paying significant amounts of money. So we were not happy with the dollar, but we were happy with the output. So we had to learn how to get the two to meet, right? And that's what the LoRa that I conducted kind of told the Coast Guard, like, hey, we could have done this analysis a few years back and been in a better place today than we are. But now that we have this information, let's plan a way forward. And we were able to completely revise the maintenance philosophy for that asset and start driving um, our attention toward developing our own resources and getting away from the more costly support assets that we were using. So, yeah. <laughs> That's always how it goes, eh? Oh, yeah. 
it was, <laughs> it was the sticker shock thing is what got people's attention. And, you know, I was, I was watching uh, some of the conversations that we were having on LinkedIn recently about asset, you know, converting uh, our concerns into dollars, right? So we can convey impact and importance to the people at the top, you know, the business managers. That, that's exactly what did it. You know, once we were able to perform an analysis and, and start translating our, our resource needs a little bit more accurately um, into into dollar values that the, the strategic leaders could could understand and and see and use, we started getting the support we needed to change the maintenance philosophy. Yeah, absolutely. Like as someone who's who spent a lot of time kind of in the economics world, it's something that I just don't. Like, I don't understand. I mean, I guess I, it's it's not like easy to start doing, but it's something that I, I just, it kind of bugs me. It's like, we need to be doing this for literally everything. It's so important because like the people who sign the paychecks or the people who sign the, the checks to buy new equipment or to spend this time on the maintenance, they understand dollars. They don't really understand, oh, that this pump has cavitation or you know, the risk of failure is this, or the vibration is that like, they don't care. They, they purely want to know what's the dollar impact on my organization. Absolutely. You're wasting their time talking about cavitation. So, so Lucas, I guess you've started doing some consulting work on the side. Like where can people find out more about that? Yeah. So, um, I've got a website. It's a, it's a real basic one. So don't laugh at me when you see it. Um, (laughs) I'm not an IT guy. (laughs) Um, yeah, I've got a I've got a website, MerinoConsultingServices.com. I know, extremely original name, right? Um, and on there, I I provide my contact information. Should you wish to reach out and talk to me about, um, you know, whether level of repair analysis or or any other type of service with project management or asset management um, that uh, that I that I specialize in could, could benefit you. You could always give me a shout via email or, or via phone and that contact information's on that, on that site. And I'm also, um, you know, on, uh, on LinkedIn, um, quite heavily, uh, just, just trying to, you know, interact and learn with people and, uh, and, and glean what I can from industry and, and share what I've got with other people. So yeah, I'd say the LinkedIn and, and my website are the two best ways to, to, to lo- learn a little bit more about me and, 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 and what I'm doing. So perfect. And are you going to be at any conferences next year that you have anything booked yet? Yeah, I'll find out um, next week if I'm presenting on this topic at the um, SMRP Phoenix Symposium. So uh, that's at the end of June. I think the 26th through 28th. I wouldn't, you know, quote me on that, but it's right around there. Um, so right now, uh, myself and and Hank Kosovar, uh, the uh, owner of um, Guardian Technical Services. He's an independent consultant that also does these uh, types of analyses. Um, we we may be uh, co-presenting about level of repair analysis at the Phoenix SMRP um, symposium, and then I might be uh, we'll see making a trip to Canada sometime in June as well for the asset management uh, summit that uh, Suzanne's trying to organize. Yeah, I'm looking forward to to that one for sure as well. Yeah, yeah. So. I don't know. It's all very exciting. And I'm, I'm trying to put a book together so that people can understand uh, Laura and what it, what the benefits are to an organization um, in the next few months. So um, I'll have that out sometime, uh, you know, in, in this, uh, in 2019 as well. Yeah. And definitely when that one comes out, we can definitely have you back on to talk about it. Okay. Yeah. 
Sure thing. Perfect. So everyone who's still listening, thank you for listening. You know, Lucas, I had another fun time again talking to you. Thanks for coming on. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Rob. I appreciate it. Thank you. No, absolutely. I, I love I love having you on to talk about stuff. I mean, it's it's fun discussion and you bring the energy. So I love that. <laughs> Hopefully I'm not like nerding out too much and people aren't like, oh my God, this guy, what's he talking about? <laughs> <laughs> I think, well, people listen for the nerding out. That's the, that's the whole point. We're here to learn. So it's great.